Hello and welcome to Rise of RevOps. This episode features an interview with Curran Singh, partner of Revenue Excellence at Sapphire Ventures. Sapphire Ventures is a VC firm that focuses on investing in companies of consequence. Based in the San Francisco Bay Area, Curran is responsible for providing strategic go-to-market advisory services to Sapphire portfolio companies to help scale their revenue engines. Curran is an experienced ops leader. Prior to joining Sapphire Ventures, Curran was the Vice President of Revenue Operations at Procure Technologies. He has also held the title of Chief Operating Officer at Salesforce LLC and Head of Sales Strategy, Program, and Analytics at Cloudera. On this episode, Curran discusses RevOps' unique perspective on data, why he thinks spreadsheets can be dangerous, and why he thinks RevOps is the connective tissue of a company. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. Rise of RevOps is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview with Curran Singh, partner of Revenue Excellence at Sapphire Ventures and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Rise of RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a special guest. Curran, how are you? Doing well, pal. Excited to be here. Excited to have you on the show, a RevOps operator turned VC. What a, what a perfect person to have on the show. It's really exciting. Right on. Uh, RevOps is still near and dear to my heart. I know I've moved over to, to VC land, but I get to do more of the same. It's uh, still revenue operations. I just get to do it with a swath of companies rather than just one. And uh, there's a joy in that too, my friend. Yeah. So tell me uh, a little bit about what you were doing in RevOps what your role was previous to that and, and why you decided to uh, to join Sapphire. So my background, uh, Ian, is actually in what I call go-to-market strategy and revenue operations. And the two are really interconnected with each other. One's kind of more, again, the strategy side, the other more of the execution behind it. But that's what I've been doing pretty much my whole career. Prior to Sapphire, I've been in a bunch of in-seat operations roles. And um, most recently, it was at a company called Procore. So think uh, vertical SaaS, construction tech. I joined Procore maybe when they were pretty mature, probably $150, $200 million of run rate and spent three plus years with them. Took them through a public event, probably tripled revenue during that period of time. Um, and it was in all the things that I, you know, I, I like to do within revenue operations, ultimately supported them. So think helping them think through intentional and efficient scale and growth, which really matters, especially when you're a public company. And how do you set up an organization to do that early days so that when you are finally in that, that phase and stage that you're set up for becoming a forever company and not just a flash in the pan. So did that at Procore, which was a fun ride. And then prior to that, Ian, I was at a company called Cloudera. Uh, so think machine learning, data warehousing, that world. And Boy, I joined them early days, maybe $40, $50 million of run rate. I was the first operations leader there and kind of went through that hyper growth journey with them too. So all the way to $300 plus million of revenue, public event, once again, trying to become a sustainable forever company. And again, the commonality with both is I ran go-to-market strategy and ops. And the reason I say that is because uh, you ask like, hey, what am I doing at Sapphire? And Sapphire is VC land. 
And the reality is that what I've done for those companies and a few others in past lives before that, very much germane and relevant to what the Sapphire portfolio of companies were looking for too. And so when I joined Sapphire, I joined them really to run their, their, their revenue excellence function. It's a new function that we're, we're rolling out and essentially what it's supposed to do, what it's meant to do is surround sound our portfolio of companies with great best practices, advisory, guidance, support, benchmarks to ultimately help them accelerate their growth journey. And to do it again in not just a growth is all costs sort of model, but rather a more intentional, efficient manner. And again, having seen this a few times, doesn't hurt to share and espouse sort of uh, what I've learned and hopefully give them a little bit of value along the way too. But that's the transition and uh, really enjoying my time at Sapphire. And uh, like I said, I get to do more of what I've always been doing, which is go to market strategy and ops just with just a bevy of companies now. Yeah. And what types of companies are, are these? Are you working with mostly B2B tech companies? What stages? All that. Yeah, so uh, great question. Sapphire, we predominantly like to focus on growth stage companies in enterprise B2B. Now, you know, there's obviously a swath of others as well I'm sure we'll invest in. We like to invest in what we call companies of consequence, right? So it's um, uh, maybe a broader thesis in that regard. But ultimately, it's companies that have found their product market fit. They know the problem they're solving with their product is real. But now they're trying to figure out how to scale this thing and do so in a manner where, again, they become that 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 long term sort of part of the tech stack of the companies that they're involved in or selling to rather. So in any case, uh, it's more growth stage companies and later stage companies and uh, more enterprise B2P centric. And uh, certainly my background fits really well with what it is that Sapphire is investing in, because that's what I've done in my past lives as well. And so how many of these folks, when you when you come in and look at the company, like how many of them have RevOps as a function? How many of them need to be like, you know, turned to the dark side? How many of them are just like know that they have problems and like didn't really know RevOps as a function? Uh, and like RevOps is, is still, you know, pretty nascent. I'd imagine a lot of these founders, especially first time founders, are probably not like that's not the first thing that they would invest in necessarily uh, if they don't know about it. Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, phase and stage wise with the companies we invest in, most of them have a revenue operations function and a go to market strategy function to some extent. Here's what I would say. I think it's kind of like what you said, Ian, where revenue operations means so many different things to so many people. Early stages, most companies look at RevOps, and I used to say this affectionately as your Salesforce.com administrator, right? It's that very tactical resource that I like to say, keep the lights on and keep the trains running on the tracks. And so I do see a fair bit of that where I think you really get that force multiplier, that value add from revenue operations is when you give it a seat at the table as a strategist. And I used to tell my teams this all the time. It's like, yes, our job partially is to keep the lights on, but everyone in a revenue operations team is a go-to-market strategist as well. We have a unique perspective on the data because we built it, the infrastructure, because we built it. So we understand how the data is flowing. We understand the trends of the business. We are typically pretty predictive and proactive when it comes to understanding our business. So why wouldn't we be the ones that are standing up with our CRO instead with us to say, here's what we see, feel, and think, and how we may want to consider what we do next. 
I don't know if I see enough of that, not just in Sapphire portfolio. Actually, Sapphire, I think, has done a good job with uh, sort of imbuing some of that in, but more broadly within the RevOps principle and discipline, being more strategic versus tactical or balancing the two, I think, is really the name of the game and where I think RevOps is going. And so, so more of that, I think, is the opportunity really for all of us and something I've really tried to enforce in my, my career as a RevOps leader as well. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I, I, you also see this sort of like career pathways are weird into RevOps, right? You have analysts, you have, you know, other stuff like this. So there's kind of like building in a strategic and a tactical kind of muscle on both those sides is probably not really realistic for a lot of people. They're either going to come from one or the other side, or they're coming from sales or from marketing or customer success and like, you know, or they're kind of have a data background or whatever. So because there's kind of the pathways are, are kind of funky, um, and the role isn't defined. I mean, it's literally one of the reasons why we made this show is this for the exact reason of like, what the heck is this? And what is this, you know, head of RevOps function? What should it be? And I think that, you know, speaking to the strategy piece, like when you're that close to the data, and like you said, when you're building it, it's like, you can't just have a, a five foot view of the company. Like it makes, makes no sense. Well, the framework that I've always used with my teams for what it's worth, and I think uh, will probably reflect how I actually build these teams within RevOps. Look, RevOps has a multitude of different disciplines underneath it, like you said, right? So how do you connect them all together? How do you think of them as a one cohesive unit? It's always been to me the same. It's we cover strategy, plan, people, process, technology, and measurement. So those are the big, big pillars for us within revenue operations. I think every team has to ask themselves, like, if you consider those are all part of the game, right? What do you actually have in place today? What are you a specialist in and what do you lack today, right? And like I said, I think a lot of organizations neglect the strategy and plan early days. They think more about process or technology. I think more companies need to focus on measurement, right? Being data-driven with respect to. So it really, I think everyone has to evaluate because every RevOps team is a little bit different, but look at all those different pillars and ask yourself, like, where is the opportunity? Where can you sort of build out the, the missing pieces? Because I think this thing really hums when you have all of it together and working in harmony with each other. And then again, you can build your sort of uh, functional disciplines based on that framework as well. And I, again, think that that's how you get that force multiplier that we're all looking for from revenue operations. Do you have a definition of, of revenue operations, like the Kern's Guide to, to RevOps? I do, and uh, I, get, I get asked this all the time, and uh, I always have people step back a little bit. I try to articulate it this way. There's the how and the what. I think everybody has a different how, right? So when I've done, I've done this for a long time, and the teams that people build within revenue operations, how they group them together, what their tactical role responsibilities are, sometimes different depending on the need of the company. The what, as in like, what is it that RevOps is trying to accomplish? It's always the same. There are commonalities there. And from a what perspective, I have a really strong point of view, but ultimately what to me means something very straightforward. RevOps, what it does is it does really two things. Number one, it is a connective tissue of your revenue organization. So put it to you another way, if you think about any revenue team, it's a myriad of interdependent but relatively siloed disciplines. You have sales, marketing, CS, pre-sales, post-sales, and they all have their focus, right? 
RevOps is a one team, if built correctly, that spans across all of revenue along with your CRO. Our job is to build the handoffs and the connection between these respective teams, have them all think about the overall customer journey, i.e. how our customers want to buy, not necessarily how we want to sell, and reflect that in process and technology and all these different pieces that we talked about before. So one component, which I've, I've shared frequently with my teams as well, is that what we ultimately do is we serve as a connective tissue for a revenue organization. And then the second thing that I think is what we are beholden to that we are responsible for is being the prioritization engine for a revenue team. So put it to you another way, and I, I, I use this term frequently too, is that most companies, especially at scale, die from indigestion, not starvation. I've had 80-person RevOps teams that looked at me and said, hey, I have way too much work and way too few resources. As crazy as that sounds. So our job is to help the entire revenue organization, one, intake what are the key priorities, both from a strategic bet standpoint, as well as from a, hey, just keeping the engine going standpoint, and then evaluate it prioritize it and basically say no to good ideas or not now to good ideas for great ideas and then relentlessly execute against it. So if we can prioritize the revenue org and the work we do to actually, you know, scale it and we can serve as that 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 connective tissue that brings all of revenue together, I think we won as revenue operators. And now how we do it, everybody does it a little bit differently. I have a point of view on how I built teams uh, to support that vision and that mission. But ultimately, that is what I, I think we're solving for. What's the way that you build it? Here's my perspective when it comes to revenue operations and the disciplines within. And everybody does it a little bit differently, but here's how I look at it. So I am a big believer in a center of excellence and field operations model. And this is probably more relevant for later stage, mid-stage companies when you have really large organizations that need a lot of help support. But the way to think about it is your centers of excellence are the teams that need to go deep, not wide. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I have had tech teams, right? Revenue systems teams. They just need to be responsible for understanding the tech stack at its very core depth and level of granularity, right? You have your analytics teams. They're responsible for really understanding the data and measuring the data and maintaining and managing. You have your strategy and planning teams all they're doing all day, every day is thinking about quotas and comp plans and targets and, and territories, things to that effect. These are all disciplines within revenue operations where there is a need to have specialists that go deep. I typically create teams against each and every one of these individualized, specialized teams. Now, they cover the entire revenue stack. So if I have a planning team, I don't have a sales planning team alone, right? I have a revenue planning team that thinks across marketing, sales, CS, and all the sub-functions underneath. Same thing with my analytics team, my enablement team, my tech team, et cetera, because they should, they should look across the entire gambit. But on one hand, you have these specialist teams, these centers of excellence. But on the other hand, you have your field organization that also has a need to share, hey, here are my wants and needs, hopes and dreams with respect to what I need from operations. That's where my field operations teams typically come in. These teams are more generalist resources, if that makes sense. So think like early stage companies typically have a jack of all trades, revenue operator, somebody who can do a little bit of everything, maybe not at the same depth and specialty, but they have a good pulse on all facets of revenue ops. 
I build a team of those individuals as well. And their whole job is to be what I'd refer as first mile and last mile, meaning they're the folks that are working with your field leaders, your VP of sales and EMEA and APAC and the US or your CS leader or your marketing leader and saying, hey, tell me what you are trying to solve for. Not the purple shiny button that you want me to build, but rather the problem statement you have. And they use that to intake and understand what it is that we need. And then they are the ones interfacing with those centers of excellence. So let's say somebody is having a lot of trouble with their compensation plans within a particular region segment. They're not going to go to the systems team, field operations, to say solve this. They're likely going to go to the planning team. And then that ideation starts, right? The, the experts can support the field operators and vice versa to say, okay, how do we actually review, assess, and solve this problem? And then that team, field operations, is the same team that is interfacing continuously with the field to say, here's what we're thinking, how we're approaching it, the change management, the rollout plan, et cetera, et cetera. The reason that this is important, Ian, is because if you have your specialist COEs constantly interfacing with the field, not to say that they have no interaction, but are constantly being requested by the field for a bunch of tactical work, they will never get anything meaningful done. Field operations is that conduit in between that acts as that filter that that allows for some of that pressure testing on what is the real root problem to solve for and then engages with the right resources on the specialist side to support the execution. So if you have both sides of this in place, I think together that to me makes the most robust revenue operations function. And transparently, that's what I've rolled out in past lives, whether it's at Procore or Cloudera, ArcSight, any of the companies I've been at. This model has been the most meaningful for me and the one that can actually sustain through scale. So when you're 200, 300 million plus and you've got hundreds of people, if not a thousand plus like we did at Procore within revenue, that you have great engagement and interaction with all the right counterparts within revenue because you have this model in place. Yeah, and I think it speaks to the 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 notion that RevOps has kind of two customers, is like the company's customers and then the sales team. And, uh, and marketing and, and CS folks, where it's like, if you're, if you don't have people that are directly kind of putting out fires, uh, and because there are, like you said, a million fires, and it's impossible to, to vacillate between putting out fires and thinking strategically is the Henry Ford people wanted a, a faster horse, sort of a thing, right? It's like, people don't, they don't necessarily like a, the, the seller yeah, yeah, exactly. who's like, you know, my comp plan makes no sense. Like this, you know, this territory makes no sense. That person wants that fire put out, you know, and their manager's like, hey, this makes no sense. If that person, you know, the person dealing with that is also the one who's, like you said, the expert at designing comp plans and they have to deal with like, you know, the day-to-day of uh, answering a thousand emails, it seems like there's just probably no work that's going to get done. And actually, you bring up a really valid point too, is that when you think about what a field operator also does is, there's some things they can even do without that center of excellence's engagement, you know, because they are those generalists and they might actually be able to do a lot of that tier one support to some extent as well, right? Hey, my comp plan sucks. Well, do you actually understand it? Can we talk through it? Can we talk about what your challenges are? So it's a little bit of triage there too. And frankly, you'll be surprised how often that's where the conversation starts and stops is that, ah, got it. It was actually a, a learning challenge. Hey, I wanted to know a little bit more about what's in place. I didn't quite understand. Or, hey, once we actually unpack the problem statement, there's ways to solve for it without 
building out something new, robust, et cetera, versus what already exists, or there's already a dashboard for that, things to that effect. So that triage to me is super meaningful as well, because then it allows your teams to be as efficient as possible. To your point, if they're going to the planning team every single time they need to make a change, what's ultimately going to happen is that team's going to become ticket takers, right? And that's what they'll spend all their time with. And then you never get proactivity from your revenue operations teams. And that's when you become more tactical versus strategic. And I am a big believer in having your RevOps team become a strategic counterpart. Um, so this is a means to unlock that as well. So then I'm curious, you know, for, for those of the folks who are listening who have a smaller team, team of one, team of two, team of three, you know, team of four sort of a thing, would you recommend that you start with, instead of building, you know, all of those functions in depth first, that like maybe you say one one person being a planner and one person being a field operator and kind of like building two by two in that sort of way? Or would you say build out like one side and then build out the other side? No, I... I I like two by two approach. So, so the way I like to articulate this is that, you know, that specialization obviously is more relevant later stage, right? Or mid stage, late stage, early stage is just consolidating those specialties. So, you know, you have to take a step back and ask yourself, where are their commonalities? So I'll give you an example. I've historically had my strategy planning and insights teams early days all be one, one entity. And it could be one or two people because typically the folks that are crafting all the good and great data are the ones that, that can make the decisions on how the plans work and therefore how the territories are and what the strategy, et cetera, et cetera. There is a, there's a world where those can all interconnect with each other. So perfectly fine to have that as one entity, for instance. On the other side, field operators, and when you think about technology and process as well as that field engagement, they all kind of interconnect with each other. I've never seen an organization be successful with rolling out a tech a tech stack without understanding the process that it supports and without having great enablement and engagement with the field, for instance. So if you're early days, I do think it's two by two. I think the, the remit, the responsibility for those teams is a little bit broader versus surgical and, and deep. So you should probably have a strategy, planning, insights, function on one end. That's a little bit more of, again, the proactive, the look ahead, the look forward. And then on the other end, you have almost more of like that execution arm. And those are the folks that are, again, thinking about process and technology and basically operationalizing your sellers so that they can be as efficient as possible in the day-to-day activities as well. And then again, over time, you can continue to add and further diversify and further specify what those respective functions are. But very much you can start with something a little bit more sort of comprehensive and kind of a more high level with respect to those uh, those functions that I represented. All right, let's get to our next segment, Rev Obstacles. Obstacle, obstacle. An obstacle to what? There's your obstacle! Where we talk about the tough parts of RevOps, what is the hardest RevOps problem that you faced when you were either a Procore or a previous iteration? You know, it's funny. I, um, it's almost like it depends on the day you ask because as operators, <laughs> you know, we have so many, so many different things that we're challenged with and faced with every day. And they all feel existential in some way, shape or form, as in they all have massive ramifications. And so prioritization, once again, I'll just advocate for is so important. But 
you know, if I audit back and think maybe even in the last six, eight months, the piece that was probably the most challenging is um, data and using data as a strategy, not tactic. So I'll give you the, the sort of the broader statement. When I was at Cloudera, we used to say that data, and we said this to our customers and prospects too, data is the new oil. What does that really mean? That means that data is the most valuable commodity out there for all of us. Being a data-driven organization, understanding your business in a more sort of measurable way is how you can have incredible decision support and ability to pivot quickly and proactively. That's not a controversial statement. That's pretty fair. What I find, though, is, and I saw this in a bunch of companies, right, uh, most people early days don't give your data and your data strategy the level of love, care, and attention it needs. I haven't seen many early stage organizations that understand what data stewardship is or what data governance is or good and great data practices when you're building out the tech stack and things to that effect. What that ultimately does is you wake up and you're, you know, six, eight years into your journey as a company and you, you're in a bring your own data business, right? Everybody's got a different point of view on the same data set and different definitions and, 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 and it ultimately to some extent paralyzes your teams if you don't get it right. But more importantly, it doesn't allow you to scale the way that I think some of these organizations need to later stage, right? Late stage, it's all about getting the most out of the most lemonade out of the lemon, so to speak, right? You've done all the basics already. You've already built out the, the, the uh, attack, the low hanging fruit, things to that effect. So you lose out on that opportunity. So far too often, and it's not even just a, you know, a pro core or a cloud era thing. I did consulting in between those as well. I'd see so many companies trying to wrangle this problem far too late. And then it is a matter of taking a step back and asking, well, okay, what is the foundational data strategy? Do you have the investment on the teams that are actually worried about the policies and procedures you need to maintain good quality data? Do you have the investment in the infrastructure and the data sources that you need to get the best quality information? Do you have teams in place that are what I call stewards that are actually maintaining and managing the quality of the data. Because if you're got a leaky bucket or a leaky boat and you're trying to take water out with a bucket, but it's still leaking, you're, you're just, you're in the same place, right? Um, so spending a lot of time, effort, energy on that late stage is something I see very frequently. Now it's surmountable. It's something you can get in front of, but it's just a matter of making it a priority, making data a priority, because the moment you do, the amount of meaningful revenue use cases you can unlock are, are massive. We hear all the time these days about product-led growth. What is product-led growth? Product-led growth can mean a lot of different things. Product-led growth isn't just your ability to go into the, the product itself as a customer and buy more widgets of. It's also understanding what your customers are doing with your product and ultimately using it to make more cross-sell, upsell decisions. You can't do that without great data, right? So that's a great example of what you can unlock if you can really prioritize your data strategy. But it's at the foundation of everything. So it's something that I would say that more organizations should prioritize early and often because it unlocks a lot of opportunity later, even if it may not seem as meaningful early days when you're investing in it. Yeah. Any like any takeaway that someone you know who's listening could implement if they're if they're kind of like oh crap I, I really need to do that like how do you how do you get started on a seemingly potentially endless project Yeah yeah and it can be it's a it's a forever project in some ways right from a maintain and manage standpoint but really a lot of things are within revenue ops My top line statement would be that if you want to go attack this 
there's just some simple things you want to do first and foremost. Number one, get the right constituents in a room together. And it's usually someone within IT, it's usually someone within RevOps, it's usually someone within your finance organization coming together to define the KPIs that matter the most to you. Because that's ultimately what we're doing with data, right? We're trying to understand very specific metrics, key performance indicators, metrics that actually inform us about our business and can help us scale the business, right? So define what those are and then actually give them definitions as well. As crazy as that sounds, a lot of companies don't have that. You'd be shocked how many companies I went into and said, hey, what is the definition of a new logo? Or what is the definition of gross retention or net retention? And you'll get multiple different answers, right? Because the devil is in the details. So have that committee in place that can have those early stage conversations around what those definitions are. Just start there. Don't try to boil the ocean. Just make sure you have that piece canonized. The moment you have that at minimum, especially early days, everyone can reference it. You don't need to build a bunch of process technology and all that in place when you're a 30 person company, right? You just need everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. And so having that definition in place is probably the the, the lowest hanging fruit and one that I think will get everybody to think in more of a data driven fashion. It builds that right culture from moment one. And then what you'll find is naturally and organically, all the teams will band around it and they'll all say, here's what we need to do next in order to really continue to scale and maintain and manage this stuff. So really get the right folks in the room and have the conversation about those definitions and then everything else kind of trickles out from there. All right, let's get to our next segment, the tool shed. Hey, hey Brandon, Michael, want to do me and mom a favor, get off that shed? This is my favorite place, <laughs> the tool shed. So we're talking tools, spreadsheets, metrics, just like everyone's favorite tool, Qualified. No B2B tool shed is complete without Qualified. Go to Qualified.com right now and check them out. Qualified.com. They're the best. We love them dearly. Kern, what's in your tool shed? The thing is that there's a ton of tool proliferation these days. Meaning, I mean, uh, the tech stack that I had back when I was at ArcSight, perpetual software days, right, which is a while, while back. I mean, I could probably put it on a single page and, you know, showcase it. And I did in my road shows and whatnot during the HP acquisition. Nowadays, I see some of these tech stacks and the best and brightest of the, the respective tools you need. And it's massive. So the way I like to think about it is um, it really depends from persona to persona within a company. So myself as a go-to-market executive, my tool stack transparently is different than what a seller will care about. My tool stack is all about visibility and proactive visibility. So what I tell my teams is, look, I'll spend most of my time in our Tableau dashboards that connect everything from top of the funnel down to um, you know, all the various fee, uh, uh, data points we have from the disparate tools that we have available. What I want is a single pane of glass to be able to look at all of this and understand how the business is trending and flowing. So for me personally, visualization tools, that's where I spend most of my time, right? It's a Tableau, a Snowflake. Now, great tools like Qualified and others, right? What they're also trying to do is like have that single pane of glass. So some of those eventually will probably replace because there's very specific use cases I'm trying to solve for as well and funnel and funnel progression, understanding the funnel all the way from intent down, really meaningful as well. But for me, it really is about decision support tools. My teams, right, if I think about sales, marketing, CS, I see a lot of them living in 
their workflow tools or their process tools. So I have seen sales engagement tools and things to that effect be really high on the list, right? So the outreaches of the world, where they do their day-to-day jobs, right? That is super meaningful for them. You know, Gong and Chorus, there's all these other tools out there that help you understand if you're, you're, you're sort of the most effective version of yourself. So those folks are spending more time in like their, their work tools, their workflow tools, the things that, that help them run their day-to-day Although we also try to get them to be very data driven as well and have a good insight into the reports and dashboards that they need. So it really just depends from persona to persona. But that's how I try to look at it. And ultimately, when you add it all up, you do get that big smattering of, you know, uh, tools that every company has at late stage. It's just a matter of using them effectively. Where do you stand on spreadsheets? So I have some gripes with them, personally. (laughs) Right. Um, and I'll, I'll share more. So I'm not saying that it's a binary thing where there are no, there's no place for them. I just think that spreadsheets can be dangerous when that is what you live and die on. Right. So the example I would give you is early days in a lot of companies that I've gone into, you're surrounded by spreadsheets. Before Google Docs and Google Sheets, where you had more collaborative spreadsheets, it was living in some finance person's, you know, computer in a corner or some operator's computer in a corner. It's actually part of why you have challenges with data quality and accuracy. You have challenges with democratization of insight because there's usually one person in a corner that owns it and understands it because they're the ones who built it and didn't share it and, 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 right? So that one person becomes really powerful Heck, I've been that person in the past too. So, right, I have a little bit of a bias there, but ultimately it is not what's best for the organization. So my statement on spreadsheets in general is that you can have them. My preference is you do them in more collaborative spreadsheets. And ultimately, if you have a spreadsheet, you should have a plan and a path to be able to translate what it is you're building there into a system of record that everyone can have access to, right? And that everyone has standardized access to. So if you have a forecasting tool, well, you don't have one today, you're probably doing it on spreadsheets. Eventually, you should be taking the process you are using on spreadsheets and putting it in a SaaS solution, right, like a Clary, and so that everybody has access. If you have your core KPIs living somewhere in a spreadsheet, that's fine in the short term, but eventually that needs to go in your Salesforce.com instance or Snowflake or, or, or. I only say that to say that I don't know how you scale with spreadsheets long-term if that is where you start and end. So um, it's not a four-letter word for me, spreadsheets, uh, but it is something that I think you should have as a part of the journey, not the full journey, if that makes sense. Any blind spots that you think people have uh, that that you wish or that you had that you wish you could measure better? Yeah, I. Um, this is not a shameless plug. I just genuinely feel this way. There's There are so many... Um, new technologies out there that are looking to expand what we mean when we say the funnel, right? The pipeline, the funnel that we have in place. I remember early days, it was all about MQL to SQL to SAO to close one. That's a serious decisions model. Um, But ultimately, that was all around like the visible funnel we had available to us today, right? Now we're in this world of intent information and dark funnel up top. Then you have product telemetry on another side, which I think more and more companies care about and is sort of, again, the precursor to broader product-led growth strategies and things to that effect. 
My point is that there's all these other facets around the funnel that are starting to come in. They've always been there to some, well, not always, but they've been there in some way, shape or form. They're just becoming more and more relevant and more and more visible. And we have technology and infrastructure that lets us map and track it. I think that while that may be there, there's not enough of a mindset shift to understand that that is probably the expansion in the next phase and stage of how we think about our overall funnel, right? The more we can see companies and organizations thinking about sort of the behavior that buyers do much before we ever touch them or the behavior they do with our product before sales can get involved and, and, and. The things they do as a sort of a surround sound in the, in the periphery before an active sales cycle, human-led sales cycle, that to me is, is, is incredibly important. Some of the best and brightest companies in my mind are activating in this regard. I just want to see that sort of be prevalent everywhere. Because uh, transparently, that's how our buyers want to buy, right? And we want to meet them where they want to go. I think that's paramount. Yeah, I think we have a fundamental shift in marketing that has eclipsed any other shift that's kind of happened uh, with regards to the complexity of channels and the complexity of things like peer review sites and the complexity of like how far down the funnel you can you can really get uh and especially with abm and especially with these massive buying committees and all this stuff like so you have some really really savvy marketing teams that can look at that stuff and then you have other marketing teams that like might not be as savvy and so i think that there's just a bigger chasm there than there ever has been before because of the stuff that you said so like you are as a RevOps leader you're relying on that assessment of like how sharp is the marketing org and what can you do to figure out you know spots in the leaky bucket or push them or you know either push information out or or, you know get the information from them in a way that that gives you more more insight to that this is where we talk about product-led growth like that means marketing owns a number right like that's a completely different world than ever before. Complete mindset shift. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're like, and there's, you know, there's some CMOs and we've talked about this on, on our show, Demand Gen Visionaries, a ton is like, if you're running like hardcore PLG type stuff, like it is a completely different muscle that you might not have ever had in your career before. Like it is a different thing. It's a different animal and sales feels weird about it. (laughs) Like big time. Yeah, there is, there is a component of that for sure. Yeah. So I think that all of that, to speak to that point, I think it is it is such a huge blind spot for RevOps people. If you've never had that before, it's going to be a huge blind spot to figure that out. Fully agree. All right, let's get to our final segment. Quick hits. Quick. 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 These are quick questions and quick answers. Quick hits. Curran, are you ready? Let's do it. Number one. If you could make any animal, any size, what animal would it be and what size would it be? I'd probably take an elephant, make it the size of my dog, and uh, we'd have some fun. <laughs> it's funny. We get that answer a lot. That's my answer, too. And I think that the scientists behind Jurassic Park uh, need to get working on on small to medium elephants because they'd be a big seller. Firmly agree. Yep. Do you have... Uh, a book or a podcast or TV show or something you've been checking out that you, do you enjoy and recommend? 
I love, and it's a little bit of an older book, but I love Jeffrey Moore's Zone to Win. I think it's such an intelligent way to think about, mm. you know, how do you invest your resources? Horizon one, horizon two, horizon three, incubation zone, transformation, et cetera. Because I, I don't believe in one size fits all. And uh, it's a good reflection of how, how to think in a little bit more of a complex manner. And right now that matters, right? Everybody's thinking about how do I resource my organization? Where do I train? Where do I not, right? This, uh, I think this book, everybody should take a gander at at some point or another. The message is still relevant now, in my opinion. Great one. I forgot about that. That's a great book. What is something that you, like a tool that as a RevOps leader, you just, you couldn't live without? To be honest, these, these, these visualization tools are really important to me right now. And it's, it's a little bit of a cop-out because it's essentially taking the data from all of our different systems of record and putting it into a single view. I don't know how I do without it. So I guess if I had to pick like a snowflake tableau sort of connection, that's probably right at the top of the list for me. I will say though, I'd love to see more and more solutions out there start to take over some of that and give us that same visibility in tool, in system as well, because uh, I've had to build all those things from scratch with my teams. And that's a lot of overhead as well to maintain, manage, and create. Is there a RevOps misconception that you have? That our superpower is to be great tacticians, meaning folks that just get stuff done. I said it at the start, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, is that we are all inherently strategists, or at least we have the potential to be great strategists as well. So yes, allow us to do our day job, which is, you know, get uh, get the trains on the track and on time and where they need to go. But our superpowers are bigger, better, and greater than that. Uh, I think we have a pulse on the business that is uh, rare within an organization. So leverage it is what I would say. Okay, final question here. What piece of advice would you have for someone who's newly leading a RevOps or go-to-market team? Start early in having a seat at the table with your revenue leader. Just your job as a leader, not necessarily even from a team perspective, your job as a leader is to be the counterpoint, the strategist to your CRO. You know, it's funny, I have a lot of my my aspiring CRO friends and peers and colleagues, they come to me and they frequently talk to me about like, hey, I've always been a great sales leader. I know how to manage people. I know how to close deals. I understand that side of the world. Now as a CRO or an aspiring CRO, what I never got in my back pocket was the rev strategy, go-to-market strategy, ops side of the world. It was just not part of my agreement. Now, some good and great operators or uh, revenue leaders find it along the way. They make sure that they invest in that skill set for them as well. But it's not a natural one. So imagine if you're a CRO and you're in that seat especially for the first time, let's say, you probably want to rely on that operator to be that counterpoint, that complementary resource for you. So if you're a RevOps or a go-to-market leader, know that that's the case and know that that's your level of value that you are bringing to the organization and make sure that you you sort of, you lean into that um, as, a, as, as a part of your core remit. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Current, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining the show. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Nope, just had a blast and uh, um, excited for what's ahead for you folks and qualified. And uh, there's a, there's something really meaningful there. Indeed. Awesome. Thanks again and take care. Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. 
Learn more at qualified.com.